for the News and Observer. I'm Don Vaughn, your Capitol Bureau Chief and host of Under the Dome. For this week of Monday, July 24th, 2023, I'm here with a rival Capitol Bureau Chief, none other than Colin Campbell, my former NNO colleague, but still for years now, my colleague in the Capitol Press Corps, where he is the Bureau Chief for WUNC Radio. So thanks for doing this, Colin. Great to be back in the uh, NNO space. Uh, it's a crossover e- episode extravaganza, but not crossover the legislative way, I guess. No, that, was, so. that was too long ago. And it's a throwback, too. It's been yeah. two years since I've been with the podcast. Um, well, anyway, let's talk about um, something that also happened two years ago and two years before that and one year before that. And it's the budget summer, our annual, I'm calling it, I've just decided in this moment, budget summer, summer town 2023 the, Sounds like we need a soundtrack for it or something. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think last summer we talked about, like, with the other press corps members, like, hot budgets, summer, July, or June, or whatever it came out to. So, um, anyway, as people who are listening to this probably know, if you're a state employee or a teacher, like, your raise isn't here yet, and it's not coming this week, and it's not coming next week, and will it come the week after that? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, don't buy that boat just yet. Yeah. So... I've only been covering the budget and this whole annual event since 2019, the year of no budget. Um, You have been around longer. So uh, over, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon over at the legislative building earlier today. I was talking to my colleague Kyle Ingram and was like, maybe we could talk about, is this a big deal that it's already almost August when you look at what's happened in years past? Is this just what it is now? And like, you've been, so, I don't know. Is it is this a big deal? Is it that big a deal? So this is certainly not unusual. We've had these before. I mean, the, the memory I go back to is, like, I think my first budget cycle covering the legislature in 2015. It was September. We still had, I think that time we had a Republican governor in Pat McCrory, and the House and the Senate were still negotiating well into September to get on the same page. And at one point, the press corps had actually figured out where the budget negotiations were taking place and had staked out the room. So every time Tim Moore or Phil Berger or someone walked out, we'd be like, are you there yet? Are you there yet? I mean, it was like, you know, kids on a road trip or something. And I think at one point I even ordered pizza. But I I pulled up the dates uh, going back to 2013. They seem to either they get it done more or less on time or they just blow way, way past their deadline. So 2013, the budget was signed on July 26. Again, when we had a Republican governor. 2015, the year I mentioned, it was signed into law September 18th. Uh, Then the following year, they got it done for the short session, like right on July 1st. You get to 2017. uh, They got it done on time in June, uh, but Cooper vetoed it. uh, And then it was almost immediately overwritten, uh, probably by the beginning of July uh, 2019. They got it together to send to the governor on June 27th, but then it was vetoed. And that was the year it was never overridden. And you had the surprise override vote in the House. And then 2021, uh, the House didn't get its act together to finish its own, just the chamber's budget until early August. Then they had to negotiate with Cooper because there was no supermajority, and they didn't have the final version done and signed until November 18th. So uh, they're saying mid-August now, but really, who knows? So this isn't, we're not in big deal territory yet, and I don't mean to make light of the fact that people don't have their money yet. I mean a big deal on the timeline of yeah, the delay compared to, yeah. Anytime soon. We, the record is well off into the fall. So what were they arguing about when McCrory was governor, where they went into September? It's it's really the same thing every time. It's the the Senate 
under Phil Berger wants to be much more austere in terms of how much they spend, in terms of how they do tax cuts, in terms of how much raises employees get um, than the House that's always wanting maybe a smaller tax cut, but still a tax cut, uh, state employee raises, but maybe bigger than what the Senate wants. Um, and then there's usually some fighting around like capital projects, how much you know, money goes to pet projects in different members' districts. Mm -hmm. There may be some policy elements that get sort of uh, lumped into it, and the Senate wants to do one thing, the House wants to do the other. This is sort of par for the course uh, with the, the two brands of republicanism that you get um, in the legislature in the two chambers. I almost think that the House budget proposal for raises is more democratic for Republicans writing it because I kept looking back because I've written so many different versions of the story of here's what the Senate has and here's what the House has and the House likes raises and the Senate likes tax cuts and and how they meet on that and the proposal this year from the House is the highest that I've seen I guess in the past four or five years but I think that might be more to do with the 25% almost vacancy rate and in the House wanting to solve that maybe more than the Senate does yeah. or thinks the answer to solving it is more money? Yeah, I mean, both chambers seem to realize that's an issue, but they're, yeah, the Senate raises are not significantly different than what they've proposed in years past. It seems like they're, yeah, they're like, it's the same raises as non-inflation, not, I know inflation's like, you know, different now than it was like a year or two years ago or whatever, but this recession that everybody's been waiting on, it's, I'm, is it coming yet? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that plays into it, too. And I've talked to some of the House folks that are sort of like, well, we don't want to go too steep on the tax cuts or we, we want to have some sort of trigger in there because what if there is a recession and then we run out of money because we cut taxes too much? Because um, I think the last thing Republicans want to do is come back a year or two later and be like, you know, we gave you those tax cuts. JK, we're going to have to take them back because we're out of money. Yeah, they like bringing that up, like yeah. with the... Was that Purdue? Oh, yeah. The, 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 the... Throwback to the Democrats in the 20, 2008 recession okay. um, that they had to, like, make big budget cuts. And it, every budget cycle that I've covered, that's been brought up. That was a little bit before my time. But they always make that argument whenever the Democrats say, you know, we need to invest more in this. We need to spend more on this. They say, hey, now, remember 2009? You guys had to cut things because you didn't prepare for the recession. I believe we had that on the podcast in the past month or so, and I had Senator Todd Johnson who mentioned that again, that yeah, they don't want to do layoffs. If you were playing uh, a drinking game about a budget debate, a, a callback to the 2009 recession is always part of it. How much of that is wanting to blame the Democrats, and how much of that is a real worry that there would be a point where if you gave a significant raise, then you'd have to lay somebody off. Well, I think the, the the key difference, if you're looking at the actual policy, is like the rainy day fund. There was a period of time where it was really small. So there wasn't a whole lot of margin for error when they you know, saw the revenues start to decline. They had to make some budget cuts. Now the rainy day fund is part of, um, I think there's a statutory obligation that they put a certain amount in it. It's something the Republicans enacted. So now it's really healthy. There's a surplus. There's a lot of reserve money that they could dip into in the next year or two if they had to. Um, and that's something I don't know that they had, you know, over a decade ago. I guess they didn't. I mean, rainy day, people were like, why didn't you use that during COVID? But we just rained down federal COVID money. Yeah, the state didn't need it. Uh, yeah. And so there was really no need to, to spend that. Um, and they still have the same with some of the, the hurricanes and stuff. They've not dipped into that too much because they just wait for FEMA to come down and then there's all the FEMA money. I noticed when we asked Berger about this, he started with reserves over taxes for like the same reasons that um, they've been arguing about it the past couple of months. I don't know if 
that was just the order of what he said or if somehow the reserve argument has like become more important than the exact tax setup, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's always a challenge is just how much do you put into reserves and whether you can just make the argument of, you know what, we're good now. We don't, we can leave it untouched for a while. So you mentioned one budget where you said they immediately passed it on time or they overrode Cooper. So was that was that just the they had the power and they're like, we'll just come up with a solution on our usual like, you know, um, differences on raises and taxes and spending and just get this done and add some policy that was anti Cooper. Do you remember? Like, why did that come together? Um, I, I don't remember exactly what sped things along that year. Um, I think maybe they just sort of didn't get so hung up. Uh, I think the more recent years, there seems to be an effort to sort of wait out the other chamber. Um, just that using time as a negotiating tactic of, well, now we've done so many late budgets that um, it's more accustomed to be that way. And so the House, I mean, and just talking to like House Majority Leader John Bell, he's saying, well, you know, the Democrats want us to get a budget now. We could get one right now, but it wouldn't be one they would like. They'd yeah. much rather like if the House positions on some of these things like raises ends up coming out on top. And to do that, we've got to, you know, take our time and, you know, essentially uh, play uh, budget chicken with the other chamber of, you know, how long does it take someone to blink because we're so far past the start of the fiscal year? So budget chicken, maybe? Is that what this is? Like budget the annual summer. annual budget chicken? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're probably looking at three, maybe August 7th week, maybe later after that. Yeah, I guess August 7th sounds like it could be the most optimistic at this point. But you know, when we talk to Berger and Moore this week and have the usual reporter gaggles that just you don't hear a whole lot of progress. They're saying the same things. You ask them the sticking points. The sticking points are the same as they were a month ago. So it just doesn't feel like things are, are moving along in any sort of productive level that will get us a budget in a couple of weeks. It's a very groundhog day. So, all right, um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about other like actual changes um, to buildings since we both like government buildings um, and then our picks for headliner of the week. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Capitol Bureau Chief Don Vaughn at the News and Observer here with Colin Campbell, Capitol Bureau Chief at WUNC. It's our uh, rivalry week slash yeah, like uh, current. The Chiefs. I don't know. <laughs> the other one in the press corps is Laura Leslie with WRAL. So if, if she ever wants to do a crossover episode, we'll have the um, the the Capitol. Um, I don't know, cage match, dome match, right? <laughs> Something like that. So speaking of dome, that was a, a weak segue, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, the the dome on the Capitol building is actually changing this week. One of our visual journalists, Travis Long, got some really fantastic images of the copper going up. So it'll be weird when it's totally done and copper colored instead of the blue green. The last time I talked to Paul Koble, the legislative services officer who is in charge of a lot of state uh, government buildings other than Department of Administration. And he said it would be a summertime project. So it looks like they're making pretty good progress on it. Have you looked up at uh, the yeah, pieces it's, as it's it goes? to see the, the green is gone. I mean, we'll have, to, we'll have to update the Under the Dome logo or something to uh, be a completely different look, at least for a few years until it, I guess, weathers down to look the way it did. They did the same thing with the uh, the like weird like pyramidy things on the legislative building roof yeah. a few years back, and so those were like bright copper for a while, and then they've slowly faded to something slightly less gaudy looking. 
You can always tell when somebody like really needs to update their file photo of the legislative building because I'm like, wait, it's blue? No, it's not. It's like brown or black. And it's they must be looking at something like yeah, over old. 10 years ago or something like that. So um, uh, we're never uh, here at the NNO. There's never any shortage of legislative building photos and so I take them uh, constantly, but usually not from the angle where you would see the roof. You know. Yeah, got, got, to, got to some new angles, get from one of the tall buildings down on the roof or something. Uh, so that's not the only work being done. If y'all have walked by the executive mansion, it's covered in plastic. And so I asked the powers that be about that. And the governor's office deferred to the Department of Administration. And they said the sheeting is because they're removing lead paint on the porches. And so um, the plastic is to contain, you know, obviously toxic lead paint. Uh, and they're replacing warped and rotting boards. The contract is C.T. Wilson, who went through the bid process. I asked to go over there. Uh, well, it turns out Cooper I covered this week, so I didn't, you know, wasn't actually going to go over there. Yeah, not but a good time to be in that building. So I asked for the design details, but uh, Department of Administration said no for security reasons. So we'll see if that, you know, it stands up to public records law. But anyway, you have actually seen more details of the mansion than I have. I've only been on the first floor with the proletariat. So Yeah, exactly. And I, I should know that the, uh, there's always a little bit of like caginess with these renovations because anytime there's money spent on the governor's mansion, there's a concern that it could become a political issue. Like the place has kind of been allowed to fall apart in some yeah. respects because no governor wants to be the one who's like, look, I made my house nicer with your tax dollars. You're probably uh, the one that wrote in the NNO 10 years ago when McCrory wanted new bathrooms yeah, or something, right? Changed out. And I actually have been in one of, you know, to your question, I've been in one of those bathrooms. There's a really weird shower that's like multiple decades old may have been used by like FDR or something is the lore because it has like it's clearly like you know wheelchair accessible um has all these different like pipes and like places where it shoots out in different directions uh the first lady uh Kristen Cooper told showed me around that once when I was doing a story on the haunted bed that they were bringing back to one of the bedrooms on the upstairs of the uh governor's mansion a few years back um it was a bed that uh, this governor in the 1800s had, died, had died in, and people had, like, heard his voice or tapping when they slept in the bed. And the bed had gone into storage for a while, but for whatever reason, the Cooper family decided to, they, they particularly liked that bed and wanted to bring it back out and furnish one of the bedrooms with it. So that's my, my one experience in the upstairs part of the governor. Is that still there? I don't like, know if they haunted I've done a follow-up to see if they were... If one, were they haunted by it? And two, were they haunted enough by it to say, you know what, can we get a different bed in here? <laughs> All right. Uh, Cooper's office, we have follow-up questions. You'll be hearing from the Pirochki <laughs> soon. Uh, that's interesting. One of the first times I went to the governor's mansion, maybe the first time, was before I was a state politics reporter. And Kristen Cooper, <clears throat> when my son was younger, had this Halloween like kids parade from like the museum to the mansion grounds and so I, I went to that um and i was dressed up too but i don't think it was inside i think it was just on the ground so yeah, this has been a tradition under multiple governors i, I mccrory did that on halloween where as long as he would wear a costume or he would like jump out and scare the kids or something what did mccrory dress as how forget what his costume was we all know that governor cooper likes the hurricanes and yeah. he's worn that a couple of times now andy grip yeah yeah, yeah. Years. Um, so what was uh, McCrory, if you're listening, uh, send us pictures of yeah, uh, what you've heard yeah, My Halloween memories don't go quite back that far anymore. Exactly. 
It would be funny if, like, you know, all the portraits of the governors, you know, on that first floor for anybody that's been there. And again, this is a taxpayer funded building that you can, there's open houses and different things you can do. And it, thought, it does look nice at the holidays. I went, like, as not a reporter to, to that several times. But anyway, all those portraits of them, it'd be funny if there was, like, additional portraits of, like, their, like, Halloween yeah, costumes Halloween or. Um, all right. So um, before we run out run out of time, let's move on to our picks for headliner of the week. Um, Colin, I'll start with you. Who or what's your headliner? So I, uh, the Republicans suing themselves is my headliner this week. Uh, a group of uh, Republican activists were upset with the voting process used to uh, reelect uh, Chairman Michael Watley to chair the NC Republican Party. They are now filing a lawsuit trying to get a judge to order a brand new election uh, over some concerns about uh, voting apps that were used, a phone app that they thought people were uh, casting uh, illegitimate votes from other places, people who weren't even eligible to vote. So an echo of the voting integrity claims that we hear about, uh, yeah. you know, real elections that, you know, for elected office that all of us vote in, uh, but coming back to uh, internal party affairs is sort of so the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I guess, you know, if you create a lot of distrust around elections, you're also going to distrust your own people at some point. Yeah, that's interesting. We'll see how that pans out. <laughs> All right. Uh, my headliner is a very, uh, a much less serious, lighter thing. Um, but actually someone that I believe has questioned elections when he was in the House Freedom Caucus. <laughs> it's... Um, well, I think they were going to inspect something or whatever, the election bill. So Senator Bobby Hanna got two tattoos on his legs that we all saw on, um, I honestly forgot which lobbyist tweeted oh, it. Lewis it was Brian Lewis, Lewis on Sunday and yeah, everyone's like, what? Yeah. I'm going for some reason then go straight to Bobby Hanna. I immediately I thought yeah. Bobby Hanna. Who did you think it would have been? Like, I just, you know, I think I was trying to like pair the legs with the person and he just thought, you know. Yeah, I was just like, really that so before I even looked closely at it, um, I thought of Hannig, and then because I'm really into Essequon Videri, I'm actually wearing my, that I had made this Essequon Videri bracelet because it's really just a fantastic state motto. Uh, so anyway, I was looking at the seal, but he had the house seal on one of his legs, and it was his name instead yeah, of Essequon Videri. But it turns out that's just how, like, how he had the house seal in his office, and that was the template he used. He, it's not erasure of to be rather than to seem. Yeah, so. be rather than to seem. Just be Bobby Hannock. That's the goal. <laughs> um, and a fun aside, as we um, you know, we make small talk, sometimes it's about soda, um, as the um, people that run the state are getting mic'd up. Um, I asked Berger if he'd gotten any tattoos and we hadn't seen them. And he said, no, he doesn't have any, but he has nothing against tattoos or piercings. It's perfectly fine. It's just, quote, not his uh, cup of tea. I mean, so. I learned this week, too, that Jason Sane, the, one of the House budget writers, mm-hmm. has a tattoo that they'll ever seen, but it's a reference to a fire department he was part of some years back. Number three, he said, yeah, for I guess that's the fire station out in Lincoln County or whatever. So, um Anyway, so that's our political tattoo. Do you have a tattoo? No, I don't. Okay. No, no political tattoos. Uh, you know, the out- outline of the state of North Carolina would be cool. Or S.A. Quam Videri. So yeah. mine's a shamrock for the uh, luck of the Irish ancestry I have. So anyway. All right. So, Colin, um, this has been fun. I'm glad you came back. Yeah, so, thanks for back. Uh, maybe I'll be on your show again and we'll have more, yeah, crossover, more crossover episodes. So, but not the legislative crossover. Yeah, that's with the done. Best. We don't want to think about it anymore. It's too many <laughs> long sessions that week. All right, y'all. Um, well, welcome to another 
budget impasse summer, it's the same as it, as it has been and will continue. Groundhog Day will continue for a while longer. Yes. All right. Um, for the News Observer, I'm Don. Talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.